You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. Well, good afternoon. I might repeat that with good morning because I'm usually preaching in the morning, but good afternoon and it's good to be here. Um, You see the passage we have in the New Testament reading from the book of Matthew. Uh, And this passage is kind of a summary of Jesus' ministry, uh, of him going out in the three years that he has and and going out through the towns and and engaging and, and producing his ministry to what God has called him to. And so this is Jesus' mission, and that's what I'm, I'm going to look at this afternoon. And so this is God's word for you and for me this afternoon as we come together. And it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Father, we do thank you this afternoon for your word. We thank you that it teaches us, that it touches our hearts, that it convicts our minds, that it helps us to see who you are as our Father, and how and what you call us to as your children. Lord, quicken our hearts. Help us to be engaged. Help us to think about um, your plan, your mission plan, for your Son, Jesus Christ, and for us as your followers. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this passage this morning, this afternoon, I want you to think about what gets you excited. What gets you excited? What would get you engaged, have energy for my son? One of my sons, he's a, a SEC football fan to the nth. He's USC East Coast, not West Coast. West Coast. Uh, he has got his clock counter on to when the games will start. He's getting excited. He's looking to that. What, what gets you excited? What you, were you excited when you came in today to think about, do I'm ready to come and praise God? Are you thinking about what you might do this summer, what vacations you might go on? Some are going to the beach, the outer banks, some might be going to the mountains, family time. What does it look like? What gets you excited? Now, we can look at the positive sides of that and also the negative side. We're not going to look at the negative excitement we have, but the positive. What gets you moving? What gets you thinking? What gets you engaged and you're looking forward to? And then to transition that a little bit, to think about it this way. What excites you about what God is doing or has done? When you think about God moving in his kingdom, what excites you? What gets you going? Where do you feel encouraged? And just to give you a a couple examples, uh, one of the things that excited me recently in this idea, and this idea of of God moving and God on his mission, Christ's mission for making him known, is one is I heard of a couple that was going towards the Ukrainian war. A couple that left Richmond recently to go to uh, encourage a mission that they support uh, it called Mission um, Music Mission Kiev, where they have an orchestra and they reach out to people. But they went to Ukraine to encourage the people. That excites me because they're putting their own safety at risk 
to go do something greater, which is God, and go to proclaim God, and go, and go to help them. Well, something else that excites me is college kids, and when I talk to, I work with some of the college kids at Stony Point, but one of the things that excite me is some of the kids that, hey, I'm not going to be here this summer. One of them's working at Camp Willow Run, Camp Willow Springs, they're in that area, and they've gone to serve God. They make some money, but not a lot. But they've gone to serve. They've gone and said, yeah, I'm going to do that. And, and another one has said, no, I got an internship in my hometown, in the place where I'm going to school. And so it gets me excited to think about here are these kids, these young kids who are doing things to reach out to God and what he's about. But what excites you? What excites you about God's kingdom, God's plan, God moving, and how we're called into it? Because we're not just called to go and watch. If you go to the SCC football game with USC and you sit in the student section, you can Google this later. It's called Sandstorm. They twirl. I mean, they're into the, into the cheering section. You can have your own your f- football team. But they're into it. They're, they're going about it. And so what excites you about God and what he's doing in his kingdom? And then what can cause you doubt? Because I think naturally we can call it, come to a place when we think about God's kingdom or, or the hardness in our life or what happened. And we go, Man, where is God in this? It's kind of the illustration that you've seen before where a teacher writes 10 problems on the board and one of them's wrong and 20 of the students who are in third grade. Which problem do they notice first? The one that is wrong. And so we naturally contend towards negative incentives or maybe the kingdom's not being built or why are these hard things going on in our life or in the life around us or if you look at the news and the stories of the news, bad news sells. And it's easy to get trapped in that. Or if you go to your online media and you're getting bad stuff, um, it's easy to be there. And so when you think about what, do, what, excite me, what excites me about what God is doing, I think we need to focus on what is good and right and true. And that's what God calls us to focus on. What is he doing? Because God is alive. God is moving. And God is on a mission. He's building his kingdom. And he has sent Christ, who was on a mission, to proclaim his goodness. And to grow the harvest. And so as we look at this passage, I want you to think about the idea that Christ is on a mission. And we're going to kind of pick this passage apart a little bit. But Christ is on a mission that he shows us and then calls us into. And the first idea we find in verse 35, it says Christ, and this idea is Christ is on a missional lifestyle. If you look at this and you look at the passage 35, I'm going to read it again. It says, and Jesus went out through all the cities. And the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And so the first action I want you to look on is Christ went out. It was intentional. As much as we love to be in the church, and church is good, and as much as we want to go to women's events, and women's events are great, and as much as there's going to be a great uh, kicker's thing, it, it, you can be huddled in, and there's, a, there's another illustration that the church can be in a circle And we can be inward focused the whole time just looking at each other. But Christ says, no, what I want you to do is go out. He went out and the circle would reverse. And so now which way is everybody focusing? To where they can see. The villages and the people around them. And so he went out. Intentionally he went out and you go, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to go out and teach in the synagogues, Pastor. But you do go out. Some of you went out today. Did you go to Walmart? Did you go to your neighborhood and take a walk? Did you walk your dog? I saw a lot of kids in here. I have five. Mine are a little bit older than a lot of the ones I saw in here. But we went out a lot when we had kids. The park was number one. We went out. That was a great way to meet people. And so we went out. But you can think about that, this idea. And so he went out and he was teaching. 
And that was a common practice for guest preachers like me to teach in synagogues where he was. That was a normal practice. But where could you go out and possibly teach? Schools, clubs, YMCA, parks. But this idea that Jesus went out. And then it goes, he goes on to say a little bit more. He was preaching and proclaiming the gospel. And so he goes out with a purpose. He goes out with intentionality that he has something to share. Something to explain. I recently did an evangelism conference um, in Spanish, and I just call it the one, it's not a very original one plus one method, but if I say one plus one, you can answer. I could try that again with a little authority. One plus one is? Ah, uh, there we go. Yeah, that's sorry, different story, but uh, I know we don't respond as much. But yeah, one plus one is two, and you didn't have to think, right? Simple, easy, right? Okay, so my evangelism story, my evangelism training was really this. Can you share your own testimony in two minutes? And do you have one form of the gospel, the good news, that you can share in two minutes? And honestly, it doesn't really matter to me which one. But can you do that? So Jesus went out teaching and preaching, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, how he has come to save, he has come to redeem, and he could do it. And so in the same way as we are going to be called, and we are called to proclaim the gospel, can we share it? And again, it doesn't matter to me which way you use it. You can use Romans 6.23. For all sin and false short of the glory of God, let the gift of God eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Gospel. Done. You can share your testimony. I came to faith, pastor's kid, yeah, by not being able to take that. Every Sunday until I was 12, I couldn't take that. I wanted grape juice and bread. But I wasn't allowed to have it because I wasn't a professing Christian. And that's how God used it. So proclaiming the gospel. Can you explain it? Can you share it? It's a gospel lifestyle that Jesus went out. He, teach, he taught and he was preaching the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And can you do that? The idea that we should be able to do that. And he met people where they are with healing and sickness and problems and disease and physical needs. And so it, he was going out to everyone which was even against the culture, right? Because he was from Jewish background and you didn't go out and touch the people who were sick because then you would have been ostracized and you had to go through a whole cleanliness process. So he went out to everyone in needs. He went out to the villages and the cities. And so this is a Christ-missional lifestyle. And then we think about for us, and this is something I want to think and focus on just for a minute, in Christ's missional lifestyle, we too are called to have a missional lifestyle. One of the funnest things I get to do is hear, as, an, as a pastor, is to hear people's testimonies. If we went around the room today, we would have stories from all different ways. I've heard stories of people coming to faith in a hot tub because somebody shared the gospel with them in a hot tub. I've heard stories of people who were in the hotel, and they didn't know where to turn, but the Gideons had put that Bible in there, and they invested the money to buy all the Bibles and put the hotel, and then they read the scriptures in their hotel room and come to faith that way. I know a guy in South America, it's very, um, I served in Peru for two years, and literally uh, our, our sanctuary was much smaller, and the doors just rolled open to the main street, so you're contending with all the vendors selling on the street and whatever, but this guy it wasn't in our church. He was drunk and walked past, and he heard the gospel being preached, and he went in, and he was saved. And all those are wonderful. In the same way, I've heard people who are covenant children 
and they come to know Christ. And all those are equally powerful and important. But all those stories and truths of Jesus were because somebody was practicing a missional lifestyle. Somebody bought the Bibles to put in. Somebody was preaching the gospel when the guy who was drunk walked past. Somebody goes on campuses and preaches to campus kids, campus students. Somebody held a neighborhood Bible study and invited somebody to come. And so it's this missional lifestyle, and it's very awesome and exciting. And so when we think about that and we're encouraged about this, and it's Christ's mission, is first of all, think of your own story. Who did God use to touch your life? Maybe Grandma praying. Maybe mom and dad in a Christian home. But somebody has had a Christian lifestyle to proclaim the gospel to you. And then out of that, we are called to say, yeah, we can be used. And God actually says we are called in 1 Peter. He says that we are called as a people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood that once had not received mercies. We were once not God's people, but now we are God's own people, and we are called to proclaim the goodness of God. And so when you think of things to get excited about, one is Christ's missional lifestyle, then there's a privilege that we get to have as well. Ephesians 2, one, Ephesians 2 says that God has prepared good works for us to do in advance, that we may go and do them and glorify him. And part of it is proclaiming the gospel, going out just as Christ went out. Someone came out, got Christ sent someone for us to tell us the gospel in the same way we are called to go out just as Christ did and proclaim the gospel. So you think of that, that's the first idea as we look at this. Christ is on a mission. Is One is that Christ's missional lifestyle. And how does it reflect? How was it a, a positive for us? And then how does he call us into it? The second idea is Christ's missional motive. And if you look at verse 36, it says this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like the sheep without a shepherd. So action number one was he went out. Action number two is actually seize people. He went out, and it says in 36, when he saw the crowds. I don't know about you, but I am, so he, see, he saw the faces. He sees the people. He knows, he sees what they're going through. He sees that they're harassed. He sees that they're lost. I am really good. My mission when I go to a store is to get what I came to get, right? So I get annoyed when the parking lot is full of people who don't know where they're going when they're trying to find a parking space. Or I get annoyed when I'm trying to get there, and I really only be at the store for five minutes. And the store's full, and there's a bunch of other people. So the first thing is he sees the people. Well, I see the people too and can have a problem with that. But then how does he react? So one is we can be blind to people, but then he sees the people and he reacts with compassion. Christ sees you. And reacts with compassion. Christ sees me in all my sin and all my mess and says, You need a Savior. Christ sees us where we are. And He sees our condition. Without Christ, we are followers of the world, followers of our own sin, followers of Satan, Ephesians 2 1 and 2 3. And He says, No, you're helpless. You can't do what is right. And what you need is a shepherd. You don't have a shepherd. You don't have a defender. When you think of the word shepherd, it's not something we, we think about uh, a lot, but um, sheep are really not smart animals, and they need a shepherd. And so we need 
the direction of Christ. And Christ says in the future that he will be our shepherd. He is our great shepherd. And so he reacts with compassion. We read the verse from uh, Exodus 34 that talked about he would draw us in and he would care for us. And so we can think about that. He sees the people and he reacts with compassion. His motive is compassion to share the love of Christ, the true love, to be their shepherd when they don't have a shepherd. His compassion for us is to give us direction, to show us the true way, to provide a savior, to show us his truth. And so he does that. He is our shepherd. We were helpless, and when you accept Christ, you have a shepherd who protects you, provides for you, and you're no longer helpless, but you have someone who is guiding you and leading you. I recently took a trip to South Carolina where my parents are. My parents are, have moved to assisted living recently, and, and they're struggling in some different ways with their hearing, with memory, with walking. Um, and my youngest child, who's 13, went with me, and it can be challenging when your grandmother asks you for the fifth time in the last 20 minutes, what'd you do this week? Or how's something going? And so my mom will forget. She'll forget short-term memory stuff. And so one of the things that was incredibly powerful for me as I watched her is we always go out to eat and eat. Everything takes longer. But she was quick to take my mom or my dad, her grandfather and grandmother, by the hand touch them, as they can sometimes not always be clean, guide them as they're slow, and steps like this are really hard. There's no handrails here or anything like that. My dad has problems with vision, and then my grandmother's continuing to ask questions, and so compassionately, she would touch their hand, take their hand, and walk with them, and she would patiently respond over and over and over again with the same responses. When the quick response is to see them and not be compassionate, but to be annoyed. So as we think about Christ's missional motive, he sees the people, he has compassion upon them because they're being harassed and they need a shepherd. And he shows that compassion as he proclaims the love of God. If you sing the hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, the story behind that, the author there was walking along a road and he noticed someone in a ditch who was drunk, passed out, maybe beaten up. And he realized the only thing that separates him from that position was the compassion of Christ. Christ had sought him out, shown him his love, saved him, and giving him the great shepherd of who he is. And so inwardly, Christ's missional motive is to do that for us. And as you accept him, he does that for us. Out of compassion, he deals with our sins repeat offenders over and over and over again, the same sins that we have. And he says, come to me, I will forgive you. The reason we had the confession of sin today is Christ forgives us, he guides us, he leads us. He calls us to do things and we don't do them or we avoid them. So Christ has compassion on you. He knows your need of a shepherd and shows it to you willingly. And then as we think of that outwardly, again, the circle goes out. Is our motive compassion as we see the people around us? in your neighborhoods, in your areas, who needs the great shepherd? Who are you thinking, I could, might invite them to the kicker's event. I might invite them to the women's event that I forgot exactly which it was that was, came up, but those are two that he announced. And we think about evangelism and Christ went out preaching and teaching, but do you know the number one people 
reason people come to church. It's not because Eric's such a great preacher, but he is a good preacher, don't get me wrong. The number, it's not because I go out and evangelize or he goes out and evangelizes. The number one pe- reason why people come is because somebody invites them. And that somebody is you guys. Because you have compassion, because you've received compassion, and you promote that as you go out and you say, hey, somebody else needs to know about this Jesus. Somebody else needs a great shepherd and to bring them in. And so you have this idea of a Christ-missional a lifestyle, a Christ-missional motive, and then a Christ-missional opportunity in 37 and 38. And so then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Wherefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to the harvest. And you think about this, um, the harvest is plentiful. And you say, well, where is the harvest plentiful? Everywhere. You're supporting people in a lot of different places that go different areas and mission trips and people who serve here. But there are people all around us everywhere who need the love of Christ. You don't have to look far. I was teaching the young adults class this morning and, and we were talking about one guy works at State Farm. And I said, well, what does your office look like? And he said, well, some of us are Christians, some of us aren't. And there was the opportunity. They need the, the love of Christ. Talk to another, several other people who are at, on campuses. JMU, VCU, UVA, um, Virginia Tech, all over the place. And I said, what does your, your campus look like? And they're like, they need, the harvest is there. And so the cool thing about how God uses us in this idea of the harvest is plentiful is one of the ways I want you to think about and excited about is this room probably has, I don't know, maybe 150 people. All of y'all are probably connected to five other people who need to hear the love of Jesus Christ. The harvest is plentiful. And so if we just multiply that, everybody in here may be invited, or everybody in here had the opportunity to somehow start the conversation. Somehow everybody in here starts praying for five. What would it look like? How would it work? What would this church happen to this church as we start thinking about missionally? My lifestyle is I have the privilege to go and serve him and who the people are around me, and I can see them, and I can go out to them. And it doesn't have to start with just, you know, the, the Bible conversation, are you saved? It can. But it might start with, hey, how are you? I see you. How, what's going on in your life? And sitting down and listening and talking to people and getting to know them. It may look like inviting them to an event like the kickers event or the ladies event. It may look like having somebody over to your house and, and sharing life with them and doing dinner with them. But what does that look like? Because one is we need to see the harvest. We need to go out to the harvest as a lifestyle and show the compassion that Jesus has for us. And then the second is to pray. Pray for workers. And so do pray. I asked directly for the guys that I was talking about. I have five or six guys that I'm really working with hard. But pray for the workers to be sent out of this church too, and that could include you. So the passage that follows this one, who is he teaching and preaching with? The disciples. What does Jesus turn around and do after this passage? Well, they go out. And so he says, pray for the laborers. And by the way, you've been enlisted, voluntold, go. Okay? And so out they go. And so Pray. Pray for the harvest. Pray for the workers to be sent out. Pray as they go out that they'll be strengthened, and you will be strengthened. The cool thing about this is there's no age limit, no height limit. My kids just went to King's Dominion. You know, you got the height thing. There's none of that. Everybody's called to be part of this mission. Everybody's called to be engaged. As you walk throughout your day, and I did this today, um, but I've done it through the weekdays too, I wanted to put the test to myself. 
And so I went through the day as I was studying this and tried to count how many people I come in contact with. As I took my daughter to events, as I took my son to events, as we went to church events, as we went to Walmart, as we went to get our car fixed, everywhere. And I probably crossed paths easily with 100, 150 people. Now, obviously, I can't have a conversation with all those people, but I wasn't even seeing or thinking about this with most of them. So what does it look like for us to have a missional lifestyle like Christ has? That has come to us and, and reached out to us. What does it look like for us to see people and have compassion upon them versus judging? What does it look like as we think about the missional opportunity? Are we excited about that? That God is giving me purpose. He's giving me opportunity. And he says, you know, he says in you know, Matthew 28, 20, that's the one we always focus on, go and make disciples, right? We focus on just that part of that passage. But do you know what the first verse right before that says? Jesus who has all authority in heaven on earth. And then the last part of that says, he will be with us always. So he says, go make disciples. But by the way, I'm all powerful and I'm going with you. And then he says, I will always be with you. And so he says, go. I have people for you to be a part of. I have touched your life and now I'm sending you out to be a witness and ambassador, a purpose for me that others may hear the good news that has been proclaimed to you and that they may have a shepherd, just as we have a shepherd. That they may understand their need of Christ and be guided by him, just as we have that. And that's the good news. That's the Christ mission. If you look at the whole time he's here, that's what he came to do, come to proclaim the good news of God, who Christ is, and then call us into that as laborers and harvest for the field. And he will be with us. He will equip us. And he will see us forth. And he will hold us fast. Even when we go out and we have a hard time. And I know it's, it can be scary to go out and talk to people at different times. It can be scary to invite people to things. But our position in Christ is secure. Romans 8 says, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. So come, do the work that I've called you to do. Be on Christ's mission because Christ has brought his mission to us first and saved us and redeemed us and is patient with us and sees us and has compassion to us and now says go and serve, invite, see, go out. And I want you to know there's some really incredible, wonderful people that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and God's calling us to be a part of that. That's the missional opportunity. Let's pray today as we do that, but I do challenge you to think about two things. Understanding Christ's compassion for you. Can you share the gospel? And who is it God has intentionally around you that might need to hear the good news that you have because you're Christ's ambassador, a royal people saved by him. His mercy has been given to you that we may share it and proclaim it to others. Let's pray. Father, we love to hear stories. It's exciting to hear stories about people who are being saved. It's exciting to hear that the gospel is exploding in Africa. It's exciting to hear about um, people who are testifying or are on our campuses. And yet, Father, many times we know and we confess we overlook the opportunities you put right before us. Father, help us to be uh, people who go out out of our way, out of our comfort zone, out of our security, out of our selfishness, 
So whether that's in our house and our kids need to hear the gospel or our spouses or someone else who's staying with us, whether that's in our neighborhoods as we walk our pets, as we go to parks. Um, Father, help us to go out. Help us to be able to see. We're, we're quick to see ourselves um, and slow to see others who are around us. Lord, help us to have hearts of compassion. Uh, Lord, you have had compassion on us. Help us to understand the great Savior that you are, our shepherd who guides us and leads us. Uh, Father, and help us to be on your mission, to continue to pray intentionally for you to raise up more laborers for the harvest that would go, proclaim, and make Christ known. In Jesus' name, amen.